Spectrum is brought to you by the Scripps College of Communication at Ohio University. Before a new idea can become a way of thinking, before one detail can flip the narrative, before anything that matters can change the world, it must, above all, be known. The duty of the Scripps College of Communication is to bring forth the people who bring forth the knowledge, by word or image or data stream and in every medium and by all means, they succeed. They say, make it loud, make it clear, make it known. Learn more at ohio.edu slash Scripps College. Welcome to Spectrum. I'm your host, Tom Hudson. On Spectrum, we cover a wide range of topics that are important to our lives. We feature journalists, authors, scholars, policymakers, activists, scientists, innovators, and sometimes just people with fascinating stories. We're currently doing a four-part series of episodes focusing on the importance of local television news. Today, we examine the role of Janelle Bass, who is managing editor of WEWS News in Cleveland. Janelle described what it's like to manage the people who bring you your daily news. Janelle, uh, your title is managing editor. Yes. Um, Some people understand that perhaps from the old newspaper concept of managing editor. Uh, it seems to me that that's sort of a title that, that changes depending where you are. Yes. Uh, and it's one of those job descriptions that gets a bunch of things thrown into it. Yes, it does. <laughs> yeah. So what is managing editor to you at WEWS? Yeah, it's a number of things. Um, but I, I would say at the basis, I run day-to-day operations for our newsroom. So I, my job is to look at the, the big picture. How is the day running? How is the morning running? How is the night? And are we following our mission? Which for us in scripts, especially EWS, it's big J journalism. My goal every day is to make sure our newscasts look different than the other stations because we are going beyond the headline. We are taking that story to the next level. We are adding more layers, depth, and context two stories that matter to people in our community. Now, are you just concerned with what goes out over the air, or is your position to partner and marry with the digital side and and have the the broadest look at the, so what's being presented? We're best friends, <laughs> digital okay. and broadcast. So our digital director, we talk. And one thing I love about our newsroom is that we, and especially scripts, um, we do manager huddles, and so we are, want to be consistent on broadcast as well as digital. So we have a lot of conversations. Um, we have like an EDI committee um, where we talk about issues of race. Do we name someone? Do we show a mugshot? Um, we have those conversations with broadcast and digital. So usually our executive producer or digital director, one of the two, or also other people in the newsroom that just offer insight, we just huddle. So you might see us in the middle, there's like five, 10 people talking about, should we show this mugshot? What is the value of it? If it's a 15 year old kid that is stealing something from a store and they arrest them, 
what's the value in showing that? Because when they turn 20, they, they might not be doing that. So us putting out their face and their name, um, what is the news value in that? Now, if it's they're searching for someone who's hurt multiple people, that makes sense to put out their photo so that they can, you know, people can come forward if they have information, right? But once they've been arrested, do we need to keep it up there? That's another conversation that we have. And usually we, you're like, there's no public threat. So broadcast and digital, we're always in lockstep at what we do if we name someone or if we show their photo. And in what context? You talked about being journalism with a capital J, and mm -hmm. I know that that's part of Scripps' mission yep. overall as, as a corporation. But let's talk about audience and audience expectations mm -hmm. in 2023 uh, with local news content. Mm -hmm. um, they used to watch everything was car crashes, fires, yeah, mm -hmm. assaults, mm -hmm. gunshots. Are people still into that? Or it sounds like you're trying to give them more and more context and more texture of the community. So I'll give you a real-time example of that. Uh, there, right now, uh, people are stealing uh, Kias and Hyundais. So you can report every single one, right? Right. Um, or you can talk about the big issue of there's an error in, in, the, in the vehicle that allows for this. There was a TikTok and people took that. Or you can talk about different cities providing um, steering locks to deal with this issue. And how much now are municipalities paying for um, these locks to give to people? Like there's a different way to cover these things because it still matters because a number of people were saying, I think we did, we crunched the numbers, our investigative unit. And I believe in like a three-month span, it's either 33 or 50 percent, but it was still a, a large, large majority um, that those are the cars that were being stolen. So we're still covering a community issue, right? But we're covering it differently so that people have better perspective. Um, so I think, you know, people still want some of that. They want to understand there's crime in their neighborhood. But it's not just the back-to-back -back shooting, shooting, stabbing. Or are we looking at this neighborhood that they've been struggling to get funding, this neighborhood that, you know, a lot of crimes are happening in abandoned homes, and the city promised to give this much money and to tear it down, and they haven't done that. And this is what you're seeing. People are able to commit crimes in these properties because they haven't been torn down. You have a limited time, even though you have morning, noon, evening, late mm -hmm. night. You have limited time on television. Correct. But your your news is really 24-7. Never stops, yes. And that's different. Yes. I would also argue when you look at – when I started TV, younger, but um, – we, we had more time in between. We also didn't have the internet in that way. Like the, when I started, internet was an afterthought. Yeah. Now, now it's, it's a, primary. It's a primary. Um, but your presentation, but there's, you know, it's always that, that issue with time, right? Like time to get the information and do it right. So one of the things we work with is really, I'd rather be right than first. So do we have to be first on air? Or are you pushing this digitally because it matters to people's life? Or are you just your strategy is to constantly push information and you're just blowing up someone's phone and like really taking that to heart because this is a public service job and like what we're doing provides a public service and that has to be your mission. So let's say the a story breaks at 2 o'clock in, in the afternoon. 
obviously that's going to go digital first, in, uh, unless you break into to, to coverage. Yeah, which but, but if you don't break into coverage, mm-hmm. it goes digital first. How different do you try to approach your story then for your afternoon newscasts, or is it a rehash of what I saw digitally at two thirty? Oh no. Um, we're, we're always building. That's always our mindset. It's always building. So yes, something happened at two o'clock. Great. So now we're huddling. As I mentioned, we're huddling. What is this story? What does it mean? Who's the who, what, when, how, why? Is there a bigger context? Is this tied to something else? Because now there's a big story and how many of our resources are we now going to throw at it? Is this just a GA reporter covering this story? because it was on web and we got the basics up, right? But we also pair the a web person with the reporter. So it is a constant, they're working together real time. We're on a text chain. So if there are real time updates at three, at four, the web producer's working with the reporter and we're changing their script, we're changing their script. But does that mean we add an investigator to that story? Again, we're pushing it, you know? So it's a, it's a team mentality with certain things. Um, so if it's a really big story, we're going to throw a lot of resources at it. But um, digital is constantly moving. And I, in one of the classes I taught today, um, or the class I taught today, um, I explained to them that there was a protest, a George Floyd protest, that we had in Cleveland on May 30th. And um, it was a whole day event. But when you're looking at it, it started at like 10. Not until 3 or 4 did the crowd. One, it was a different crowd. It changed. Um, there was an incident at the Justice Center steps where, you know, there was interaction with the um, protesters um, and the police. But then there was also protesters protecting police. And then there was a different crowd. And, you know, people started switching out. People went home. There were people showing up with bats and ski masks. Um, And then there was a later crowd that they were damaging buildings. Right. So we had a digital producer. She was narrating the whole day. And so that was one of our most popular stories that we had. And it also provided a lot of context when we did a, when we started doing broadcast because we were able to show here are the different parts of the day. Um, so it was a mostly peaceful protest. But there, it's also a better context to explain there were protesters protecting police as well while this was going on, you know. So it wasn't just the violent Correct. acts. Correct. That wasn't the characterization of Correct. the whole thing. Yeah. Well, you when you explain the day, you have to explain the full day. You can't just limit it to one, an hour, you know, at 5 o'clock when things got bad and then again at 10 o'clock. You have to be able to give the full context. But I just said digitally, though, we had someone narrating the whole day because we were live streaming. Um, and those are conversations, too, about live streaming. What to live stream when things, you know, are not safe for your crews, um, when the content or someone is saying things that you can't back up in real time check. You have to be careful with that. Like we saw that with other schools, I'm sorry, other stations where we went out. There were some kids that wanted to protest and they they had a lot of things that they wanted to get out. Another station, we recorded it, we watched it back at mm-hmm. our station, but it wasn't, it, we didn't push it out on platforms. Another station did. These kids made a, a, a lot of claims, a lot of criminal claims that, you know, there's no way to real-time balance, verify, and check. And you've now just disseminated that to an audience. There is a responsibility to have some fact-checking, right? Yes. 
um, especially the claims that they were making right. um, of, of sexual abuse. They were, I mean, it was a lot of different claims. And so, you know, we took that as a lesson of saying, this is why sometimes it's important to go to that community. It's important to talk to, you know, first of all, did you even know if they were 18 because they didn't have their parents' permission? You really should, you know, yeah. it's a number of, of decisions you have, but not just putting things out to just put it out. There's a responsibility and people trust us to put out information that we check. So let's put this in another context, and that is you're in a business. Mm -hmm. You have competitors. Yes. Uh, You want to differentiate yourself and and elevate Mm -hmm. yourself in a competitive Mm -hmm. world. How does all of this checking and and monitoring and all the things that you just described Mm – play out in real-life competition in real time? So that's what I said. I, I'm, we are comfortable with being right when we present something versus being first. Um, because we've seen, ooh, um, even last year, we've seen a lot of times where people are pushing information and we're like, no, there's still some more questions. There's still some more questions. And seeing the, the consequence of having to do a retraction or being sued um, and so our audience trusts us. And so that's at the core of what we do day in and day out. And so we're okay with pushing out information 10 minutes later. We're okay with it's not at the top of our show. It's at the, it's at the half hour if it means getting the right information. So in that competitive landscape, and I think our viewers and that we've heard from them, they're like, yeah, you actually told more of the story or I understand it better. And that's the feedback that we've gotten, you know, or you don't just come to our communities when there's crime. You also show the good or I trust your anchors. They're not salacious, you know, in their presentation. They don't add extra commentary. They just give me the facts. I'm sure you have guardrails or guidelines with reporters who are expected to be tweeting or putting things on social media in in real time as they're reporting things. You know, the, the, I think that there's a segment of audience that expects that, but yet you've still got to have this fact-checking thing. So that's a precarious position. So – that's what I mentioned. Sometimes we pair the reporter with the digital producer so that they can help facilitate some of that because we want them to focus on the story. So sometimes it's a real time and we're in a group text having the conversations. They just said this. The mayor is here. This is happening. This And they're texting myself as the manager and the digital reporter. So the digital reporter is able to help disseminate some of the broad, you know, some of the digital needs. So it needs. takes it off of the it takes field it off of the reporter. Re- yes. I mean, sometimes they, they actually go with them, you know, depending on what it is. So um, we, it's really, you know, what's the event and how can we best present the story? But also you have to realize it's one crew. Like what if we're saying in a situation where there were protests? We were very, you know, intentional about having um, multiple people in a crew for safety, Right. Like just to look out, you know, and so being mindful of that. um, And it's the same thing. If there if there's a lot going on, is there someone that can help with digital in real time? So that takes that off the reporter so that they can ask another question. They can do a little bit more work. Doesn't mean having the assignment desk help get these documents put in quick FOIA requests. Like, how can we support this story? And that's one thing I love about our station, because we will jump on anything and help each other. 
doesn't mean a producer fact-checking a few things to help build your setup. Is there someone else, uh, AP, who can go grab this yeah. other interview that adds something else to your story? So, It sounds like in your position as managing editor, you have uh, – you must – have tentacles everywhere. You have to be on top of yeah. everything I try. as as it's moving quickly. Just even in an average news day, let yes. alone a, a breaking Correct. New, yeah. news day. What in your background has given you the skills to do that? I mean, in looking at your background, I just – this may be silly, and I apologize if it is. I saw that you were a wedding planner yeah. for a period of time. Yeah. So did some of those skills yes. help you do what you do today in, uh, in news? It, it, I think it goes back to, if you're even going to ask that question, it's not silly. Um, I come from a very large West African family, and so there's a million of us. And so, one, <laughs> no, my sisters teased me because when I got married, they were like, well, you better have some money because everyone's coming because I talk to everyone. I talk to third and fourth cousins. Like, that's me. That's gotcha. my personality. I, I go to the grocery store and I pick up a story in line because the line's too long. And I learn about teachers and how some districts uh, that have more money can stack the deck and they're reporting. Like, I'm a people person, right? Um, and managing relationships, that's a lot of work. So. I learned that through my family because everyone in that and that transitioned me into planning for all the family, transitioned to me into like wedding planning, planning for my friends in college, um, working two jobs in college, um, and helping start the TV station at Ohio State, Buckeye TV, um, and being a double major and a minor. So I've always learned to multitask, um, and I have a love for people and storytelling. So. No, I think all so of those things. So it's a natural position. It's a natural position for me. Um, and I mean, Channel 5 is my fifth TV station. So I still have the experience, right? right. Um, I didn't mean you went from oh, wedding planning no, 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 to you're, there. You're, you're I was actually doing wedding planning and working um, at a TV station like 50 hours a week. I so, noticed that. <laughs> yeah, it was. It, but I'm going to write a book one day. I'm not going to say the title on this. But they are very similar because a wedding is a one take. And some days it's a one take and... It is a multitude of things that can go wrong, and it's the same thing with broadcast, and you don't want to be sued. It's it's very you got to have plan A, plan B, uh, alternative C I mean, and D. Right? You want your anchors to show up, and I've had a situation where I've had a groom not show up. <laughs> so we made that a quinceanera for the bride. She made it a party for her sister because the groom there you go backed out. So yeah, you do podcasting. As, as, as an executive as, producer. As well. Uh, and uh, that is different for a TV station. Mm -hmm. uh, how did that idea originate? Uh, what does the TV station get from it? And why are you doing it? So truth be told, full transparency, um, the, uh, the anchor and the talent for that, Danita Harris, she wanted to do a podcast. Um, she wanted another outlet of storytelling. And so when they hired me, they said, this will be your project. And so I, w I, was, I was told that I'm going to be doing that. And I was like, I don't know about podcasting. I don't know that, but I'm going to learn. Um, and then as funny as that was, another anchor was like, I kind of want to do that. So then I launched a second podcast. Um, so I was uh, doing, doing my job. 
um, and I EP a franchise with the anchors. Um, and then I was do EPing two podcasts. Um, so it's stretching me. Um, and I think, you know, the extended story um, podcast is a great vehicle for that because I think people have an appetite for more than two minutes of a story. They, they want to know more nuances. And I think podcasting really offers the opportunity for a conversation about what's going on in our world. I, I view podcasting this way. It, it, if you've been out at uh, any kind of social gathering or dinner with somebody that's really boring and you're sitting across the table wondering how you can keep your eye contact or whatever and you start listening to the conversation next to you and it's much more interesting than the one you're having, that's the way I view podcasting. I want people to – feel like they're eavesdropping on a really interesting conversation that that they would like to be part of. Yeah. And that's sort of exactly what you were talking about. Yeah. And I mean, even for, for Danita's podcast, um, our first, like, and you and I were just talking about that um, before we got started, but our first podcast that we did was like just really an inside look to our African-American staff um, during the time of George Floyd and like how they were feeling because you could see it. You could see it on people's faces, um, but they were able to talk candidly about, you know, I'm a reporter and I go out and I have, you know, I'm so overwhelmed with this situation and seeing these images all the time. It's so hard. I want to cry before I even, you know, get out of the car, you know, or an anchor being like, I see, you know, this person who, who was murdered as my son. And then I have to like two, three, one, and then I have to smile and put on the news, you know, or someone, you know, in digital being like, I'm reading all these hateful comments. And my background is, I'm, you know, I, I'm biracial. And I see my family fighting, this side and this side fighting. And it's hard, but I also have to read all these hateful comments day in and day out. And how does, you know, where are you? And the first question in that podcast, we asked, how are you doing? And can I tell you, like, how powerful it was to, like, one, people are like, no one's asked me that. And then they were able to express themselves. And I mean, I, you know, that went on to win uh, Edward R. Murrow Award. But it was such an honest look, you know, at some jur- like black journalists during that time. And it really resonated with people. Um, and I think for, as you said, the eavesdropping, it was sent, you know, to a lot of people in upper management and, and many different media groups to give them a window on maybe how you can support your staff. So that was a great opportunity to too, understand from understand, firsthand, empathize, and maybe even make a plan to help people. Um, while you're in management, you have to help your staff sometimes navigate through news. Right? It's not just getting the facts, but sometimes realizing where people are, what's going on with them, and help them usher through maybe a difficult time. You know, that's kind of your responsibility, I believe. You're an African-American woman in a management position in an industry that journalism broadly has not been kind to people of color, uh, especially in management positions. Yeah. Um, How have you dealt with that? In, in your own life, you, obviously you've been successful, but how have you dealt with that? 
That's an interesting question. Um, I understand the importance of me being in a role like this. I understand the representation that that helps other people realize that they can achieve that. But what I do for myself, um, or what I do, is I uh, have a little bit of a village. So, you know, there are people that have done this before. And so I go and I talk to them. You know, there, there are African-American women who are GMs um, and news directors, and I, and I lean on them to help give me guidance. But also, I'm looking for opportunities to train up the next person to take my job in that respect. And like hiring, having a voice in hiring, having a voice um, to help editorially, um, but also looking for opportunities to train up other journalists of color. That, cause so there are a lot of newsrooms, I've been in, I've been in five, um, and sometimes the room is not diverse enough and it impacts the editorial process because there's a lack of understanding, right? And so, you know, it's a great responsibility um, that I have, that I've been trusted with. Um, I'm, it, it's challenging sometimes because change can be hard and sometimes people don't, people have a hard time taking um, advice from me. I'm aware of that, you know, whether they think I'm too young <laughs> or, or I'm a woman or I'm of color. Um, but I realize I'm in this position for a reason and I'm going to do the job, right? Do, do you sometimes feel within yourself just to say, look at the job I'm doing. Look at what I'm doing. Don't look at my pigmentation or my color yeah. or, or my gender. You know, yeah. Just look at what I'm doing. That, yeah. that's, that's what's important. Yes, but people are human. And sometimes you have to realize where people are and you have to work with them where they are, right? Um, I, I've been in, situa <laughs> been in some situations where, um, you know, I very early on in my career, um, you know, I was just referred to as the black one. You know, that, that can be hard, right? Because they're yeah. just, yeah, like, they're just, <laughs> like, it'd be very hard because it's not like they did a good job with this. They did that. That's just how they want to describe. Um, I will say in that situation, um, it forced me quickly because, um, again, I had people to talk to. Um, you know, I was like, this, this, this doesn't feel right. Shouldn't be okay, but it's being allowed. Um, how do I use the situation to my advantage, right? Right. How do I get as sharp as I can in the role I'm in in a short amount of time so, so I can leave because it wasn't, it wasn't the best place for me? And I think, you know, you can be honest about that because I, I wasn't there to change that manager. Like, I, like they weren't going to. That's, that's who they are. That's how they feel. Um, but I made that experience work for me. And it made me tougher. Which if you're going to work in media, you're going to have to have a thick skin because it's a human business. It just is, you know. And so I use that to, to, my, to help me move on to my next step. Are we getting beyond stereotypes in news, we being audience, that we expect the perfect-looking anchor, we expect the, the blonde, perfect-looking uh, person giving the news, or, or it, you know, it, it, we look at physicality mm -hmm. as opposed to 
um, substance. Have, have we got beyond that or no. are we still? No, okay. not at all. Um, I mean, I, I chose to be behind the scenes because I really like to change my hair a lot. I, <laughs> I love to change my hair. Um, I will have an af- I So you're listening to this audio. My hair is straight right now in a bob. But tomorrow I'll have a very large afro and it'll be curly. Um, and then I might have braids in three days. That's me. And I, I know that audience like consistency. Um, I know like a lot of African-American women and some of them, they're, com- they're natural. They don't relax their hair and others, they get emails. You know, if they even try to have a curl in their hair, they're like, that's not as professional. I have a friend, a dear friend, won't say her name, but uh, she wore their afro on air. And anytime she changes it to something straight, they're like, now you look more professional. She gets messages from people. And so she's really bold and she will actually put the, the DM out there and say, sorry, <laughs> troll, not today. And that's, that is her and I commend her. I don't know if I would do that, but I commend her for that. But so you still have people that they don't feel that's professional. They don't feel that's beautiful. I mean, sadly for women though, um, I wish they would focus on the great stories that she's telling versus her clothes. Like the male colleagues, they literally wear the same suits like three times a week. No one says anything. They may change the time. They may change the time. Um, and no one notices. But women, if you repeat an outfit, they're complaining. They're, you know, you straighten your hair, you gain weight. Like even when they're people that are early in their pregnancy, you know, that's a critical time, sure. right? Especially for some people who have challenges sure. and they don't want to tell because they're nervous. They just want to get to a certain time period. People be like, they're fat. They're gaining this. Like I've seen emails, again, because I'm on the editorial side, I see viewer emails. I'm on every email DL, you know, DL. Yeah, sure. And I see everything. Um, you know, they'll complain. I've seen people complain about my anchor's knees. I've seen, I've seen it all, like hair, knees, jewelry. Like it, you're just astounded at how much time uh, people are focusing as opposed to the words coming out of their mouth and the substance. So, no, I don't think we're there yet. What gets us there? Or will we ever get there? I think we're human. I don't know if we'll get there. I hope, but I don't know. We're human. So story is paramount to you. Yes. And um, I'm thinking with all of the advents of technology and mm-hmm. AI and everything coming to, to our lives, mm-hmm. that story is still key. Yeah. As a manager – Mm-hmm. Can you teach young journalists to recognize story or is it something that they just have within them that they can recognize a good story and know how to expand that into something of substance? I think a lot of times when I'm teaching someone, I talk about, one, this is a community service job. But two, you are being trusted and you have the privilege of telling people stories. So the baseline, it's all people, right? All of this is people. So having the willingness to believe that everyone has a story to tell. If you can master that, I can teach you all the other things. But that's my challenge. I, like I believe that's really my challenge um, when you talk about like diversity and different things. Sure. Teaching journalists that everyone has a story and everyone is worth listening to because you never know where the story will you know where the story will evolve to 
maybe you listen to someone and it doesn't work out this week, two weeks, three weeks, but they might fit into another puzzle for a bigger story. So taking the time and, and realizing everyone has a story to tell. And you can always build on the who, what, when, how, why, and the context, but just starting with the baseline because your next best story might be the lady at the grocery store. It might be that janitor that you see street keeping. Also, they might be a really good source because the, the invisible people are, are, my, are my greatest assets, the people that are overlooked. I don't know why people don't like butter up the hot dog man in City Hall, in front of City Hall. That guy knows everything. He hears every conversation. <laughs> Come on, people. Like, that, that is a reliable source. Absolutely. You know, City Hall janitors. That could be your friends, too. I mean, I'm just saying. They the, go through all the trash. They go through all the trash. <laughs> but the clerk at the court. Yeah. That can be your friend, too, because if they are, or someone in the records department, if they see your name and you're friendly to them, they might push your request faster to get your FOIA filled, and then you beat the competition. These things, like, they really matter, and all of those people matter. And I think if you, if, if I can help people understand that, that will make them better journalists. Because that also edges out your competition. That helps you with enterprising. And sometimes when you need depth, people will, you know, go far and wide to help you and give you information. Just in talking with you, I know that you're an inherently curious person. You you want answers uh, and you have a million questions to any situation. I do. Were you trained to do that or was that natural? My point is, does a good reporter have to have natural curiosity? I think so. I think they have I think they have to have natural curiosity. I mean, but see, I don't want to limit to just reporters because I feel like anyone that gets in this business, especially like I look at my TV station and everyone's a journalist, whether you are doing transmission, because some of the best stories come from the people in transmission. Um, whether you're in security. My security guy gives me, t- I walk in every day and say hi to him and he gives me story ideas. So I don't want to limit just to reporters, but I think everyone has to be curious about the world, but it also comes back to thinking that everything can be a story or understanding how all these little things can be stories. But I think curiosity and um, a love of storytelling is, is a baseline. And then you can teach all the other things on top of that. But my school, I did not have a great, I'm sorry, Ohio State, I love you. Um, I am blown away by the Bobcats and um, just how you're preparing your kids for real life. I had to teach myself a lot of things because we really only had print journalism when I was in school. And so I helped build the TV station with my bare hands um, that we have at Ohio State. Um, Our set was donated because one of the girls, her dad was a GM. So we literally painted. And so a lot of it was being, you know, self-taught. So like going to the smaller markets because I went to a very small market. It gave me that training, that real world experience. And I was telling the students today, don't minimize a smaller area for getting your start in this business. It trains you. You get to make your mistakes. You get to hone your craft. um, And you can build up that way. But like there's a blessing in the small. And so don't minimize that. So where do you go from here personally? Do you like to continue what you're doing? Do you have plans for the future? I, I don't mean job changes, but but what do you want to expand in your journalistic portfolio? I, I want to tell stories um, that, that really uncover um, 
some, some deep-seated issues. Like, my boss teases me, like, you're always going to the dark. I'm like, no, but I think we have to shine a light on some things that um, really have roots and they, they spread out. You know, because I always talk about, like, I say this in my newsroom, they get tired of me, but, like, gun violence. Everyone just covers shooting, shooting, shooting. But are you going to take a real thorough look at some of these areas that never recovered from the previous recession? You know, they never have, they don't have the resources. The median income is $8,000. Who lives off of that? There's no hope when you talk to kids in certain areas. They have no hope. So if they have no hope, usually ties, and there's challenges with mental health, there's not resources for that, it ties in line with seeing high rates of crime. When you're seeing areas that are deprived and depressed, it aligns with the juvie system, you know, and the juvie centers being overrun. And, and you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. these things tie. So, like, are we going to just keep doing the shooting? Or are we going to delve into what is the underlining that we're seeing this? And so I always want to be in a position where I, I can push a little bit to do those kind of stories. Um, my title, I'm, I'm not as obsessed with the title um, because sometimes if you get too high, you don't get to have the fun of, of telling stories. You then don't. You're pushing numbers. You're pushing numbers. <laughs> and so I always want to be in a position where, one, I can help add context in a room. People can feel safe with me when maybe they don't understand about another culture. I can actually, you know, provide that voice and then help people along too. Um, but being in a position where we can hire people that are diverse so it helps with the conversation in the room um, because it's hard to be the only. It is. It's hard to be the only. Um, but I always want to be in a position where I can tell great stories and Janelle. multitask. Well, you're a master at that, I can tell. Janelle, thank you so much. I really enjoyed our conversation. Yeah, thank you for having me. Today, in our series about local news, we've talked to Janelle Bass, the managing editor of WEWS News in Cleveland, about managing a local television newsroom. Spectrum is produced by WOUB Public Media. Adam Rich is our co-producer. I'm your host, Tom Hudson. Please subscribe to Spectrum. You can do that at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or at NPR One. Spectrum also is available through the NPR Podcast Directory. We always welcome your feedback, so please rate our podcast or review it through one of your favorite podcast outlets. If you have any questions or comments about our podcast or have suggested topics for us to cover, please direct them to me by email. You can do that at hodson at ohio.edu. That's hodson, H-O-D-S-O-N, at ohio.edu. Have a good day, everyone. Mm-hmm.